Our Father, uh, we are here because of your mercy toward us, and we're thankful that you have been fully committed to us, Lord, to redeem us. Remind us of that, Lord. Thank you uh, that you are a tender father that uh, pities or has compassion on his children. And uh, that's a wonderful thing. So, Lord, uh, we pray during those moments when we uh, feel overwhelmed that we would do, as the psalmist says, that we would go to the rock, which is higher, higher than we are. We thank you for those expressions. And so we pray that you would make us quick to, to run to you, to wait upon you, Lord. It's hard to wait at times, Father. Uh, it's one of the hardest things we find to do uh, <clears throat> is to wait for your providence, for your provision, for your actions, Lord. Uh, so teach us to glorify you by waiting and depending on your promises and to help us remember them. Thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your son rose from the dead and that he instructed his apostles and disciples for 40 days and that mission was obviously successful, Lord, for their word has come down to us. And how we thank you for that promise that blessed are those who believe without seeing uh, through their word. And thank you for that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're toward the end of our Gospels considering Jesus' post-resurrection appearances spending a little time on each of them, and tonight we'll probably spend most of our time on uh, the Great Commission passages in Matthew and Luke, and we've been trying to work on the chronology a little bit, and I wish I would have put this diagram in your notes, but I sketched it out here. I can review a little bit with this diagram. Um, resurrection Day is here, first day of the week, and... What else do we know? Well, we know eight days later, the Lord appeared again to Thomas. So this is the Lord's first appearances on the resurrection day. We studied all of those. And then in the evening, he appeared to them as a group. Who did he appear to first on the resurrection day? The women. That's correct. Early in the morning, actually. It was relatively early. But in the evening, he appears to them in Jerusalem, first day of the week. Eight days later... There, the disciples are again in the upper room there, and Thomas is with them. And so we have that uh, appearance eight days later. And the only other piece of data we have is actual days. We know there's 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. And the only reason we know that is because Luke tells us in Acts chapter 1. So we know there's 40 days out here, and we know there's 10 more days because Pentecost, remember what does pent mean? Five or 50. <laughs> so Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. So we know there's like 10 days in here from Jesus' ascension while they're waiting for Pentecost or the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So... Now, the other things we might know here is in this 32 days, right? 
from here to here, we got 32 days, 40 minus 8. We got 32 days in there, and the best we can do in there is know the order of certain things, but not actually when they occurred. So what things happened during those 32 days? Well, Matthew tells us that they left Jerusalem and they went and met Jesus at a mountain in Galilee. We studied that last week. And they worshipped him, but some doubted. And so we know they left Jerusalem, went to Galilee. Here they were in Jerusalem, but they're in Galilee at the mountain. Um, Then we also know from... Paul, in 1 Corinthians, Jesus appeared at one time to 500. Now, we think that was in Galilee, but we don't know that for certain, but it seems likely that it was. And if the 1 Corinthians 15 passage is in chronological order, at least, and it sounds that way, that Paul is listing those in order, in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, He rose the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Okay, so, so that seems he has that in chronological order. So, so we can put the Jesus' appearance to James after the 500. Okay, we're just uh, digging out all the information we can dig out. So we can say that, that that appearance to James ha- happened after. Now we also know, we haven't gotten to it yet, but we know there's an appearance in Galilee at the Sea of Tiberias that's in the Gospel of John. And that that one, they've been fishing all night, and that happens. We we, we, we won't get there tonight, but we know that. But we don't know. You know, that could be over here, for all we know. You know, we don't know where that is. We know it's somewhere in Galilee. This is in Galilee. Okay, now the other thing we know we'll see tonight is when we look at Luke's Great Commission passage, it appears there in Jerusalem again. Because Luke says, uh, let me throw that up. Luke says that Jesus tells them, um, okay, behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry, in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So now I'm reading that, that they actually are in Jerusalem when he made that statement. Now, I mean, that is a bit of an assumption. But he's telling them to wait, don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit's poured out. So if they're in Jerusalem at this time, uh, they they returned from Galilee sometime, and they ended up here in Jerusalem, and Jesus is telling them to wait and uh, for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so, yeah, so then there's ten days after, after the ascension 
is, oh, that's what I want to say, the ascension is from Bethany by Jerusalem. He doesn't ascend from Galilee, he ascends back near Jerusalem. Bethany is like two or three miles uh, from Jerusalem, is where the ascension takes place. So, um, okay, that's, that's about as much as we can, you know, I can get uh, to help us kind of understand those, those days. Any, any questions, Brian? Some have claimed that uh, the Bethany Jesus ascended from was in the north, um, and that Jesus actually ascended by the Sea of Galilee, and there's a Bethany by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, yes. And did you already cover that? or No. Oh. But, yeah, there's a Bethany beyond the Jordan, and then there's the Bethany that's near Jerusalem. You know, I haven't, I haven't looked into that. Okay. Yeah. I just see several, um, and I don't think it affects much theology, but they have claimed that Jesus ascended in the region of Galilee as opposed to Jerusalem. So that's why I was curious. Oh, no, I have not. Um, no. So I, I, based on uh, this timeline then, um, the disciples weren't meant to go to Galilee and stay. They've been going back and forth over those 40 days. That's the, that's the reconstruction. They made at least one trip there and back, at least, but they could have made more. Uh, because, you know, they meet Jesus at the mount. Now, the other thing is, we don't really know, you know, this meeting at the mountain, is that Paul's 500? That's possible. Um, if, it, if it is, then Matthew doesn't say... Well, we know from Matthew that there were other disciples there besides the 11. So it's possible those two are together, but Matthew doesn't give an indication that there's 500. So, yeah. Okay. So I think tonight where we are is uh, Jesus is seen by James, his brother, 1 Corinthians 5, 4. Uh, no, 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, let me get there. 1 Corinthians 15, 7. So after that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. The, the James here is most likely Jesus' brother, James. And the other James is part of all the apostles. Okay, James, the son of Zebedee, James and John, the son of Zebedee, are part of all the apostles. And James, the brother of Jesus, is singled out here. And, of course, James was unbelieving until after the, after the resurrection. And later, though, James becomes a, one of the preeminent leaders of the Jerusalem church. Okay. And the author of our book of James is this James. Not, the, not James... Um, right. Okay. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I got that right. And, and you can see their unbelief uh, during the three years of Jesus' ministry. It's in John chapter 7, verse 2 is where we see their unbelief. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers, so the James we're talking about tonight, is there. His brothers therefore said to Jesus, Depart from here and go into Judea, 
that your disciples also may see your works, your miracles that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourselves to the world. See, what, what they don't understand is, you know, where the, where the political power and action is, is in Jerusalem. And Jesus seems very seldom to go to Jerusalem. He's always up in the north, in the northern region of Galilee, and that's where most of his miracles are worked. And so they don't understand why Jesus isn't, you know, getting into the public spotlight, go down there to Jerusalem. And John tells us, uh, John interprets this interaction, for even his brothers did not believe in him. Again, they're seeing his miracles, but they expect his behavior to be so different. <laughs> they can't deny the miracles, but they just can't figure out why he's not, you know, like a political messiah and, and getting a big army to follow him or something of that nature. But this is the James uh, that Paul is now referring to that believes in his, in his brother. So we don't know where this appearance occurred between Jesus and James. Now we do know that the family, the family home was in Capernaum of Galilee. And Jesus is obviously in Galilee, so this could have occurred up north, maybe it did. And uh, we also know that Jesus' other brothers also joined the early disciples. And again, we know that from Acts 1.14, where Luke gives us that detail in Acts. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So his brothers also come around. Uh, so that's, that's, I think, pretty, pretty cool. So that's all we know about that appearance. Any comments or questions on that one? <laughs> um, do you think that part of the interaction might have included a better description by Mary of his birth that he was, in fact, uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Oh. Because, you know, that understanding his otherworldliness for a family member, I think, has uh, got to be a, a, an important part of yeah. separating himself from them. Yeah, I, I don't know. You, you know, th perhaps Mary did explain that situation sometime. To, to his brothers. Uh, yeah. Okay, so um, let's do the, the Great Commission passages. We don't specifically know uh, where Jesus is when these take place, but we can start with, with Matthew here in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And... There's three Great Commissioning accounts, Matthew, Luke, and John. And I think it's likely that these three commissioning accounts summarize Jesus' teaching of his disciples during that 40-day period, or 32-day period, when, when um, Paul, uh, Luke writes in Acts, his being seen by them during... 40 days, 
and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So I think these three commissioning uh, texts are part of Jesus speaking to them about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And, and I think that happened on more than one occasion. And each of these gospel authors have selected some of that teaching of, of uh, the commissioning of the apostles that they are particularly interested in. That's why Matthew, Luke, and John, the, the accounts are quite mo- moderate. Well, John's account is very different, and Matthew and Luke's account are somewhat different. And so it's the same type of thing. We have multiple witnesses to the same teaching, and certainly these, these accounts are summaries. Okay, when we read these accounts, it's not like Jesus taught them for only three minutes, <laughs> right? For just three minutes. So, so what, what the gospel authors are doing here, they're giving us summaries of what Jesus, how he commissioned them. And so let, let's start with Matthew's and let's just read it through. There's, we, we'll, we might spend all of our time on Matthew. There's a lot of things to connect here. Uh, then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee. And we don't know if there's a chronological break here. I think there is, but uh, verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, Matthew proceeds directly uh, to this account from Christ's appearance to the women. Okay? Um... Christ's appearance to the women. I want to just show you how directly he proceeds here. Matthew 28, 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they shall see me. So we go from that, and he talks about the guards here. And then he proceeds immediately in his account to the mountain. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And now we have the Great Commission. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, And thus ends the Gospel of Matthew. Okay, now we know there's a lot of other things that happen from that appearance of, with the women to this, but this is how Jesus, uh, how Matthew wanted to close out his gospel. And he closes it out with this great, the Great Commission passage that we call that. Now, <clears throat> let's begin here with that statement. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So the humiliated one 
who is now the resurrected Son, becomes the one through whom all God's authority is mediated in heaven and on earth. That's, That's what that statement is. At this point, after the resurrection, all of God's authority over heaven and earth is now mediated through the Son. That's the claim. So, what we have here is the fulfillment of Psalm 2, Psalm 110, Daniel 7, 13 through 14. That's that's what you need to see about this Great Commission. This is a fulfillment of those passages. So, So, we can jump into Psalm 2 very briefly, but what Jesus is saying is it's the fulfillment of Psalm 2, and I'll, I'm, I'll jump down here to try to save some time. And the nations are all raging against the Lord. And eh, let's just read it. <laughs> let's just read it. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. And that's Yahweh and His anointed. Okay, that's His Christ. Uh, So there's this rebellion against Yahweh, and there's this rebellion against Yahweh's anointed. uh, And saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Well, their plans aren't going to succeed. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Now notice the yet. The yet here is the contrast to their rebellion. All the nations are saying, let us break their cords and do all this. But what? This is Yahweh speaking. I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. That's Yahweh saying... Despite all of the rebellion of all of those nations, that hasn't interrupted my plan as to who's going to rule them. And so Yahweh says, yet I have established my king on my holy hill of Zion, and now the king speaks. The installed king speaks in verse 7. I will declare the decree, that is Yahweh's decree, The Lord, Yahweh, has said to me, the anointed one, what? You are my son. Today I have begotten you. This, I won't take the time to prove it, this is a reference to the resurrection. Okay? Not not his birth. (laughs) Not his birth. This is a reference to his resurrection. And this is the exaltation of the anointed one. So God's decree, Yahweh's decree, is said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. Okay, that has happened now. Now that Christ is risen, he, he is now the possessor of all the nations. They've been given to him. And... Uh, you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. But, not yet. 
Not immediately. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. Well, how, how do they do that? What must they do to serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling? What must they do? Ah, they must kiss the Son. <laughs> they must kiss the Anointed One who has been given all authority in heaven and earth. Okay, if you want to, if you want to respect Yahweh from this point forward, what you must do is do homage. You must worship the Son. You see, you see what he's saying there. How are we going to respect Yahweh? Kiss his, kiss Yahweh's Son, that He is installed. Okay, lest He be angry and you perish in the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Here's the gospel invitation in Old Testament language. Blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. So, this Great Commission passage is a fulfillment. Psalm 2, the fulfillment of Psalm 2 begins when Jesus ascends. And that's Jesus' claim. All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. He's the Messianic Son who is now enthroned. Okay? And... Uh, we'll say it. We'll say it a little bit later. <clears throat> so, Psalm 110, of course, is is the same way. Um, this is the most frequently quoted passage in the New Testament. The Lord said to my Lord, "What sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies." Okay, that's. That's what's happening today. <laughs> that for, between first coming and second coming, Jesus is ruling in the midst of his enemies. He has all authority over the nations of heaven and earth. Uh, your people will be volunteers in the day of your power and the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning you have the do do the earth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand, and it, and it speaks about His reign. He shall judge among the nations, and so forth. And so, Jesus is claiming these passages are now being fulfilled when He ascends and sits down at the right hand of God. He now has, He's not waiting, He has all authority in heaven and the earth. And so he's going to command them to go to all these nations and make disciples out of all those nations. Now, what is so wonderful about all of this is, and it's probably in my notes somewhere, but I can't resist talking about it, uh, is it's not initially a message of judgment. It's the gospel. Go into all these nations, not to judge and destroy them, but to call them to repentance. Kiss the Son. Go into all those nations and make the invitation to come and worship the Son and bow down to the Son. How blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. Okay? So, 
with all this authority and power, the first use of that power is to bring good news, an offer of peace to the inhabitants of all the nations. And that's what this Great Commission passage is about. Um, <clears throat> so, um, so what are they to do? Let's go back. Jesus has all this power so he can send them uh, so all authority has been oh, oh we got to do Daniel Daniel 7 I was watching the night visions and behold one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven he came to the ancient of days so Daniel has this vision of the Ancient of Days reference to God. Okay, and in this vision, this is in glory, this is in heaven, Daniel has this vision of the Ancient of Days and one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, not the clouds of the earth, coming on the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language, languages what should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Alright? So... That's what Jesus is referring to. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And notice, why? That all the peoples of the nations and the languages should serve him. So, we're here tonight. We are part of, we are, we are contributing to the fulfillment of that right here. That's us. Okay? He is gathering. What Psalm 2 say? Worship the Son. Okay? That is exactly what we are doing. So, that, this is what the inauguration of the kingdom. It's not the completion of the kingdom. It's the inauguration of it. And, and it, it begins with a call to faith and repentance that all peoples, nations, languages should serve Him and of this kingdom, it will never be destroyed. There's no other king coming. <laughs> God has what? Psalm 2. I've installed my king. That's it. That is forever. Forever. Jesus, the humiliated one, the Son of God, is installed forever at his ascension. And he's seated at the right hand of God and that seat will never be vacated or never be occupied by anyone else. That all begins at resurrection ascension time. Okay. And, and so we are now part of all people's nations and languages that are serving him. Yes, there are still enemies left. And yes, what is he doing? Ruling in the midst of his enemies. I will build my church, Jesus says what? And the gates of hell will not destroy it. Okay. So, 
that is the context of this thing we call the the great the great commission and um <clears throat> yeah let me let me get back on the notes so <clears throat> so jesus okay all authority has been given to me in heaven and, and on the earth and so he gives these disciples this amazing command go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. So let's think about that for a minute. So, so the Son's reign over all the nations, I've already said it, does not begin with judgment. Rather, it begins with a charge to the disciples and their empowerment to go into all those nations and make disciples of Jesus out of all those nations. And doing what with those disciples? Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So in this world, in this world, the Son's authority is first manifested not by taking control of the political structures of the Roman Empire, but by men and women becoming His disciples, that is, His learners and followers, who personally obey all His teaching. This reign of Jesus is not... <coughs> Excuse me is not over one nation only, but over all nations. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so, so, you see what I'm saying? His, the manifestation of all this authority and power is not sitting on Caesar's throne. It's not taking control of the political structures of the Roman Empire. That's not the first manifestation of this reigning power. The first manifestation of this reigning power is that the apostles are making disciples of Jesus out of people in all these nations. And what are they doing? They're bending the knee. They are obeying King Jesus. They are kissing the Son. Make disciples what? Teaching them to what? Obey Jesus. <laughs> That's the first manifestation of his use of all this authority and power. And is that going to ultimately transform the Roman Empire? Yes, it is. I'm not a post-millennialist, by the way, but it is going to permeate. It is going to permeate and affect the political structures. Okay. But it's going to get there because of people bending the knee to Jesus in all of these nations. Richard. I agree with you completely, and ironically, have you ever heard the term vicegerund? Vicegerund? Vicegerund. No. Yeah, the uh, emperor in the East, uh, post-Constantine, uh, saw himself, and he was delegated. He delegated himself as vicegerund of Jesus Christ. He it, it, so the state turned it around a bit, and rather than 
disciples using the state to convert, etc. Rather, the state used the faith and made the emperor the head or the delegate of Jesus Christ. Well, yes. In the medieval period, uh, the church became the authority of the state. They, they I mean, the, yeah. Well, he was. I'm, I'm serious. You can look it up. Vicegerund yeah. is yeah. the term that was used. Right. And he was the one and only delegate, aside from uh, whatever uh, hierarchy existed then, etc. Yeah, uh, there was also the expression that the Pope was the vicar of Christ. The same idea. Right, right. Which came, and the, and the, the Roman, kings and, and the kings should submit to the Pope as the vicar of Christ. Right, unofficial. Right. Uh, the the right. Pope in, in, in Rome gained power because the emperor was so weak yeah. there. Yeah, so at this point in redemptive history... Uh, Jesus is exercising this authority by sending his gospel into all the nations and calling men and women to submit, bow to his authority, make disciples, and uh, so <clears throat> to to obey his teaching. So, and that reign of Jesus is not over one nation only. What? It's all nations, isn't it? Go into all these nations. And, and make disciples of, of the Lord Jesus. And that's what we are. And that's why we're here tonight, is because this process has been eminently successful. Right? <laughs> and it continues, you know. Uh, and, and, and the Lord has not yet um, decided to end the age. So... Um, okay, so now there's other things here to note about this historically to help you understand your Bibles. The beginning of the reign of Jesus the Messiah over all the nations inaugurates a universal ministry which Israel or Jesus never had prior to this point. Jesus seldom ministered to Gentiles. He did a little bit. But he said, no, I came to the lost sheep of Israel. And we haven't hit that transition until the resurrection and the ascension. Okay? And under the Mosaic Covenant, Israel was to remain in the land, and they were kept separated from the Gentile nations by the law to preserve them from idolatry. Okay, In that Old Testament period... What does God do with the descendants of Abraham? He takes them and he sequesters them. And he puts them in one location and they better stay there because there's no way they could ever observe the dietary laws when they step outside into a pagan culture. The, the whole law is designed to... Galatians uses the idea that you're, you're a child that has these boundaries. And uh, Paul uses that illustration that Israel is being kept for the age of faith. And they're being kept like a child. They're being preserved until Messiah comes. And so in the Mosaic Covenant, we have them sequestered in one place in the land. And if any Gentiles are going to know the true God, what do they have to do? 
well, yeah, they have to come into the land or they have to go to Solomon's temple. And so there was, there was a, a little bit, a little bit of outreach to the nations. In other words, the foreigners were welcome to come into Jerusalem and, and forsake their God and worship Yahweh. And of course, Ruth did that, right? Ruth the Moabitess. What other famous woman did that? Who's that? The Queen of Sheba is another example of that. She comes from a foreign place and comes into Jerusalem and gets exposed to the true God of Yahweh. But the whole thing is set up to sequester Israel in this one area with the goal of preserving them from idolatry. Okay? Now, look at what this commission says. It completely reverses it. It says what? Get out of Jerusalem and go to all those idolatrous nations. Look at that. It's a complete reversal. The people of God, now that we're in the new covenant, okay, and that's the reason. Now that we're in the age of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and that all the people of God are regenerated, and all the covenant community has the Holy Spirit, now what? They can go into all the idolatrous nations and convert them rather than vice versa. Because what was happening over and over again under the Mosaic Covenant? Who was getting converted to whom? (laughs) The Jews are getting converted to idolatry under the Mosaic Covenant, Because that covenant did not impart any saving power. It's external. That is an external covenant. Doesn't change the internal. Now there was a remnant, okay, but in, but that is entirely flipped with this great commission. You see that? Now, what are, what are they, what are we to do? We're to go to all those idolatrous nations and bring the gospel to them. So this is, I mean, for the Jews, this is like absolutely radical. And when we get into the book of Acts, we'll see how long it took them really to get the vision. Um, So we're, we're going now to all the nations, bringing the knowledge of the true God revealed in His Son, Jesus Christ. Um, so that's a complete reversal. Now, now this situation, that situation is entirely reversed. The people have got, okay, I'm, I'm, let me get, find my place in my notes here. So the Great Commission begins the fulfillment of a whole lot of Old Testament passages, but let me just show you one. This Great Commission begins the fulfillment of Isaiah 42, Verses 1, 1 through 12. Let's just read this. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. That's the Messiah. That's Jesus. I have put my spirit upon him, and what will he do? He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Now, that doesn't mean condemnation. <laughs> now, I'm sure many a Jew read this passage and would read it like, 
oh yeah, Messiah's gonna come and he's gonna, he's gonna destroy those Gentile nations. That's not what that means. We need to read what, further what that means. He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. We know this is about Jesus. We know this passage begins its fulfillment at Jesus' first coming. And if you've read the Gospels, you know that. Okay? He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. Okay? This is a great post-mill text, okay? If you want to be post-mill, this is one of your texts, okay? I, I joke about this stuff all the time. But I'm serious. You know, there's, there's verses that command multiple understandings. And, and, and you see, you can read this. He will not be... Uh, fail until he brings about justice in the earth. And I believe that day will come. Um, now notice, till he brings about justice in the earth, and here's his significant statement, and the coastlands what shall wait for his law. What are the coastlands? The Gentile nations. You know when you're, when you're there like in, in, in Jerusalem or you're on the coast there in the promised land and you look across my geography is not that good. You look across the Mediterranean and, and you see on the other side, there, you know there's a coast over there. Those are the coastlands. And who dwells over there? All the Gentiles are living over there. That's... Okay. Yeah. Yeah, right. And uh, <clears throat> you mean the Philistines. The Philistines were on... Uh, right, the Philistines. So that, that's what the, the coastlands, when you read your Old Testament, that's a reference to Gentiles. And once you get that, a lot of passages will unlock for you when you realize these, this is talking about Gentiles. So, so, and, so what's going to happen? The Messiah is going to come and these Gentiles are actually going to wait for his law. They're going to begin to respect his law. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and the earth and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. That's the Messiah. I've called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you. Listen to this and give you as a covenant to the people, the Gentile people, as a light to the Gentiles. To open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. See, this is the calling of the Gentiles. This is the Great Commission. The, the, the Great Commission we're studying is the fulfilling of these promises to the Gentile nations. That's what this is. Let's read a little more. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. So what's going to happen? All of these nations are worshiping idols, but this anointed one, this Messiah, is going to call those people out of their idolatry, is what he's going to do. 
because God won't give his glory to idols. And this is a solution. Uh, <clears throat> and what, to open the blind eye, okay, I'm Lord, my, I, my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and the new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. That's what he's doing right here in the Isaiah prophecy. This is really wonderful here. Sing to the Lord a new song, and his praise, listen now, from the ends of the earth. What? Go blow, I'm, go into what? Go to the ends of the earth. Go to all the nations. That's what the Great Commission is about. And what's going to happen when the apostles and those that follow, follow them and us, when we go to all the nations, what's going to happen? God's praise is going to be sung from the ends of the earth. By the way, Phoenix is part of the ends of the earth, okay? <laughs> and every Sunday morning, this part of the ends of the earth is, is part of the fulfillment of this. I mean, if you see this picture, you get excited. You don't need to be a pessimist. And Christians, oh, I was going to get elected. And all, I mean, we care about that, but get a grip, okay? We are involved in something that is so much bigger than just the USA. This is Christ's kingdom, and it's spreading across all the nations so that the true God doesn't give his glory to craven images. See? And so what are they going to do? We're going to sing a new song and his praise from the ends of the earth. Hey, that's not talking about the Jewish dispersion to the ends. That's talking about converted Gentiles to the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you see that? coastlands, now you know what that means, you Gentiles and you inhabitants of them are going to sing this new song. Let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Selah sing, let them shout from the top of the mountains, what? Let them give glory to the Lord, what? and declare his praise amongst the Gentiles. Now that is a promise, and that great commission is beginning the fulfillment of that promise. Are you with me? What I'm doing is I'm putting this great commission in its historic context. And that great commission is a fulfillment of all these wonderful promises that God was making to Jews and Gentiles through the Old Testament prophets. Right? So, um, <clears throat> okay. I already read Psalm 2. You see, I, I jumped ahead there. Um, so, Jesus' reign begins not with judgment. That will come at His second coming. But his reign begins with publishing universally to all nations an offer of mercy. 
The disciples are to launch this program when they receive the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, now listen to this, to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and listen to this phrase, and to the end of the earth. Okay? Didn't we, didn't we just read that? It's in, it's in these prophets somewhere, the actual phrase, to the end of the earth. Okay. So, um, okay. So, I apologize if I'm stealing any thunder, but anytime the Bible is using uh, Kedar in the Old Testament or Kittim, C-H-I-T-T-I-M, those are indicators for uh, geographic locations uh, that we would use to say north, south, east, or west. Um, Kedar would be the east, far east. I didn't know that. Because it's ah. the border and it's the uh, Arabian Peninsula and it was the farthest people yeah. the Israelites had some awareness of besides Babylon. And then okay. Kittim was a people that were considered in the far reaches of the west. Oh, So okay. when it's talking about this to Israel, it's saying the glory of the Lord is going to encompass all the yeah. east and the west. Yeah, and so those are definitely Gentile references also. Um, yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't realize that. Kedar is uh, an yeah. offspring of Ishmael who was outside the promise. Ah, very good. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm trying to have us get the Great Commission in its biblical context, okay? And um, so I, I hope, I hope I've, I've succeeded to some degree in, in doing that. And it, it's all predicated on Christ's reigning. Over all the nations. Okay. okay. Dan has a has a question or a comment. Thank you. This may depend on the view or your view of eschatology, I guess. But do you believe this coincides with Satan being restrained so he can no longer deceive the I, nations? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I mean, I I'm kind. Of, I'm pretty much an all male guy, which goes along with like in Revelation 12, Satan is cast out of heaven and he loses his influence and he can no longer deceive the nations and and satan being bound uh then opens the door for the gospel to spread across yeah and the parable where jesus you know is casting out demons and they say uh well you're casting them out by beelzebub but jesus says well if i cast out demons by the finger of god then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And he gives that parable of the strong man. Uh, the, the strong man's house, he keeps his goods in order until someone comes along and binds the strong man. Then he plunders his house. Well, in that parable, who's the strong man? Satan. You see, they're saying he's casting out demons by Satan. And Jesus is saying, no, what's really going on here is Satan is a strong man and he's keeping his goods in order, but someone stronger comes along and he'll have to first bind the strong man and then you will plunder his house. 
Satan is a strong man. He's keeping his kingdom all under grips. But Jesus comes along, binds the strong man, and now begins to plunder his house, i.e., he converts and he, and he, ex, he exercises all these demons and takes over Satan's territory. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, I would understand those passages that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, other comments, comments or questions? Okay. We will focus... The disciples' task... Let me say it this. The disciples' task is focused on making disciples baptizing them, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Now, that's obviously going to be Jews and Gentiles, correct? (laughs) The disciples are now going to teach all these Gentiles everything that Jesus has commanded them. And uh, so, making disciples means what? To bring people into a right relationship with Jesus such that they take his yoke upon them and they learn from him, make disciples, baptizing them into the name of the three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We will return to that when we do theology. Okay, When we go another path and do theological issues, we'll return to the Trinitarian formula and the baptism when we do that. And their third task is what? Teaching them to observe all things Jesus has commanded. Now, we can easily miss just how radical of an authority claim this is. Who's been the prime teacher of Israel up to this point in redemptive history? Who is it? What's that? Moses. Moses, that's right. You've been reading ahead on the notes? (laughs) at this point in time when Jesus is uttering this commission who for ages past is the ultimate teacher and authority and person you're supposed to obey it's Moses the law of Moses now Jesus comes along and says you go out there and teach them all to obey what I have commanded Do you see the radical uh, overtaking of authority? Jesus, in that statement, Jesus puts himself completely above Moses. Jesus is now the lawgiver. Okay? And I don't, I'm not saying that as a new covenant theology guy. Okay? Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. But Jesus is, if we want to use a sense of who is the lawgiver, it's Jesus. What? Teach them to obey all things what that I have commanded you. Now, Jesus has a lot, a lot of good things to say about the law of Moses, but, but the law of Moses is incomplete. It's not complete. And that's the hardest thing for the Jews to get a hold of. The law of Moses is not complete. And um, <clears throat> the other thing aspects of the law of Moses are temporary. They're not, they're, they're not forever. Okay. 
So when Jesus says, you go out there and teach them everything that I've commanded, that's, I don't, I'm repeating myself, that's a massively, massive claim, which, well, he's the son of God. <laughs> and uh, so, so it's, it's good that you see that in Jesus' words. Okay, um, we're almost, we're almost going to stop here. We must also note that Jesus requires, yeah, that all things which he has commanded be taught. Not just a few of the things. We don't have the liberty to pick and choose. Just like, just like the law said of the law of Moses, do not add to it and don't take away from it. Okay? So Jesus is saying the same thing. Teach them to obey all things that I have commanded you. So we don't have the, the authority to pick and choose. And that's been kind of like the downfall of so much American religion. Is they still want to do Jesus, but boy, oh boy, they just want to pick and choose. They, you know, they, they, they just want to pick and choose out of Jesus and they're lost. You know, uh, they're lost. You, you can't do that. You can't deny his word that way. Uh, so, uh, there's a lot of alls in this commission, actually. There's like five of them. <laughs> so, may God help us not, uh, not pick and choose uh, of, of what the Lord has taught us. Okay. Uh, we... Jesus promises his presence to be with his disciples, saying, And behold, what I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the disciples ought to remember this. And I want, I'm going to just take about two more minutes here. Behold, that is, behold that Jesus' presence is with them always. I love that always. What I am with you always, right? I am with you always. He doesn't come and go, brothers and sisters. You see that? You, you, can, that, you can cling to that promise. I'm with you always. None of us can make that kind of promise to anybody. We can't. We'd like to make that promise to our loved ones, but we can't. But Jesus can make that promise to us. I am with you. And he says, behold, take a good look at that. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the simplest way to understand the end of the age is that it's a reference to Jesus' second coming when this present age will be brought to an end. Now, this is the part I, I want to end on. The promise of his presence to the end of the age, which extends far beyond the original audience of these disciples, doesn't it? Shows us that the promise is also, and the command is also to those who will believe in Jesus through their word. The promise is, I will be with you to the end of the age. And I think that's exegetical proof enough that the commission go into all the nations and make disciples, that that commission is still upon us as Jesus' disciples, along with the promise. Okay, We're not apostles, of course, 
but the commission doesn't end because the apostle's life ended. Dan? Yeah, really quick with that in mind. Can you touch real quick on uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, where Paul kind of seems to make it sound like it has reached the whole... The gospel has already yeah, reached. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I could take a cop out and say, uh, go, go listen to my messages on Colossians. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think in the historical context there, I, I think he's probably thinking uh, Roman Empire... That, that the gospel has already, you know, spread to most, it, it's impacting most of the Roman Empire. Uh, I don't have a very, apt, you know, clear explanation of what he means there, but obviously there, there were uh, ends of the earth that the gospel hadn't reached when he made that, when he made that statement. Yeah, so... I'll have to dig out my notes and see what I said, <laughs> but I, something similar. Yeah. But it's even an amazing statement at that point where, like, Paul was probably martyred around uh, 66, 68 AD, somewhere around there. So we're talking like just 30 and a few years after the resurrection. And it's entirely amazing where there were already churches. I mean, I've lived long enough now to know what 30 years feels like. <laughs> and, and they have no you know, cars or internet or telephones or printing press. It's just, you know, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's just 30 years of unmitigated revival an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, to where Paul can even make a statement like that when he writes to the Colossians. Yeah. It's, uh, and it, God hasn't changed. He's still doing these works. So we're, we're, we're part of this, and, and we're, we're responsible. You know, we're, we're responsible to fulfill this commission. Okay. Well, it's... it's uh, Ten after, we, we got through one, but uh, hopefully I've connected your Bible a little bit more, a little bit more for you. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you that, that you have brought your gospel to the coastlands, uh, even here to the USA, and you so wonderfully blessed our nation, Lord, uh, for, for a couple centuries, Lord and beyond. So thank you, Lord. And we pray that, that you would give us a vision, uh, the vision that we, we, we read in, in these prophets, your prophets, the vision that Jesus Christ, his wonderful promises and commands, uh, Lord, uh, that he is sitting at your right hand, of, at your right hand Father. Uh, uh, what a comfort that is. Help us derive more comfort Lord, enable us to be faithful and, and know, remind us that your presence is, is always, that you are always with us. Lord, we forget that. Um, so help us, whatever we're facing, whether it's individually, personally, or in our families, or in our churches, or all of these things, Lord, help, remind us 
that your presence is always with us and you never forget us and that your kingdom is the one that will never be destroyed. It is forever, as we read, Lord, through your prophet Daniel. And wow, Lord, thank you that we are members of this kingdom of your beloved Son. Lord, we do kiss your Son. We do homage. We bow down. We bow down to him and worship him and praise you for him. We pray in his name. Amen.